Let us now join together in the litany of invitation and confession that is printed in your order of worship. We open our hearts to God who enters into covenant with us. We are quiet before God, knowing of God's judgment and trusting in God's grace. We see in the Bible that God is a God of beginning again. We give thanks for God's long-suffering patience and everlasting love. We give thanks for second chances. Even when we are faithless, God is faithful. After times of wandering, there is always the invitation to return home. On this first Sunday in Lent, we pause and silently confess our sins. Sisters and brothers, we remember and claim the Bible's promise. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are forgiven. Let us lift our voices in gratitude and in praise to God. That's enough to get us started, isn't it? It is. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church as we begin our journey in this first Sunday in Lent. Especially do we welcome those of you who are guests among us. There is uh, in the order of service on the edge a response and welcome card. If you'd complete that and drop it in the plate when it's passed, it'll help me connect name and face with you and be able to welcome you. And also, if there is a prayer request that any of you have, feel free to make that on the card as well. It's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need uh, every week. So drop that in the offering plate. We have a few guests with us today and glad that you're here. Uh, Julie and Roy Melton are here all the way from Rochester, New York. This weekend, yesterday, we had a memorial service for uh, Roy's mother, uh, Martha Melton, and so uh, we continue to pray for you and Julie and Allison as you go through this time of loss. As we turn attention to the scriptures, I'll be preaching on the third scripture, the gospel lesson. It's always the gospel lesson on the first Sunday in Lent, and it is the story of the temptations of Christ as he's tempted uh, in the wilderness. And it seems as if God is in a hurry, that there's an urgency in Mark's gospel. So we'll look into that and see what that means. The first lesson is from the Old Testament. It's a story about the ark and Noah. It's a story of judgment, but also redemption. Now we have an image of that in our faceted glass windows, and you know where that is, right? It's right above Jordan Clark's head over here in the balcony. 
It's uh, there in the balcony, and there's the ark. There's the rainbow right there. And so, we will hear that text right now, and we open our hearts to hear as we listen. Welcome. God makes a covenant with Noah and places a rainbow in the sky. A reading from the book of Genesis. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Here ends the first lesson. And now, let us say our prayers. Covenantal God, we come to worship on this beautiful Sunday morning with our joys and sorrows. We come seeking your covenantal relationship with us and every animal and created being around us. We admit that in today's world, it is hard to feel your presence. South Africa is on the verge of running out of water in the coming months. And yet another school shooting as teenagers and children were gunned down in a school in Parkland, Florida. We are left asking, where is your covenantal relationship with us, Lord? Where is your presence when we desperately need it? In this season of Lent, help us be reminded of your constant presence. As Noah was given the sign of the rainbow to symbolize your presence, remind us of your presence today, even in times of tragedy. Help us as we take up your invitation to prayer and simplicity that the discipline of these 40 days may bring us back to you and your never-ending covenant with us. Remain with us and give us hope that rejoicing in the gift of the Spirit who gives us life so we may find comfort in our time of need. Fill us with your strength. Give us the courage to accept your call to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, caring for their every need. Teach us your paths and lead us in your truth. And may we follow your truth by praying the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
for the highness kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God is redemptive and loving. A reading from the first letter of Peter. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. Here ends the second lesson. Girls and boys, you can join us at the front. what this past Wednesday was. But it was Ash Wednesday. Yes, that's right. What does Ash Wednesday mean? How many of you have ever heard that before? What? Yeah, that's right. They Sometimes they go to a service or they see someone and they have an, an Ash sign of the cross placed on their forehead. And they are actually from the palm branches from last year's Palm Sunday. Remember when we would come in and we'd wave them in the sanctuary? Yeah, we would take, we'd take those palm branches and we burn them to create the ashes that we put on our forehead. But Ash Wednesday is, is the day that starts Lent, the season of Lent. Have you heard of Lent before? Um, no. No? You haven't? You have, Joseph? What is it? What does it mean? Why, what are we, what is the season of Lent about? It's the time when Jesus spent in the wilderness. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. He was baptized, and then the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness where he was tempted. What does it mean to be tempted? You really want to do something, and it might not be good. That's right. Yeah. Jesus was hungry and thirsty. He couldn't eat anything. He couldn't drink anything. He was fasting. Would you be hungry if you were out in the wilderness for 40 days without food or water? Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus was tempted 
just like we are tempted by things. Jesus was tempted. So throughout Lent, we are going to be talking about different pieces of it, what it means for us and what it's leading to. Because guess what's at the end of Lent? Easter. Easter's at the end, and it's a big celebration. My dad's birthday, Johnny. Is it? That's a celebration, too. So, over the next few Sundays, we're going to be talking about different pieces of Lent. Okay? All right. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the season of Lent and what it is leading up to. We pray that during this time, we are reminded of your love for us and the walk that Jesus made during this time. In your name we pray. Amen.
Please stand as you are able for the gospel reading. Christ is tempted in the wilderness. A reading from the gospel according to Mark. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The Gospel of the Lord. It's beginning to dawn on me what the gospel writer Mark is up to. We have been dancing with Mark for the last several weeks and will be for the rest of this year. And you've gotten a clue as to his uh, focus. To me, the way to say it is, his focus is going to be a fierce spirituality. A spirituality that he is outfitting his readers for. It's off-road. It's all-terrain. It's a fierce spirituality, which makes sense in a way. In order for us to get to Easter, we've got to go through the wilderness of Lent first. Now, as I said earlier, it feels like Mark's God is always in a hurry. For instance, the first thing I'd say about that, and I think there are three reasons in the text— The first reason why God's in a hurry is that the kingdom has come near. Did you hear that last line that Jesus leaves the wilderness preaching the good news of God that the kingdom has come near? And it's immediately so. It's one of those words, it's an adverb that Mark loves, the word immediately. He uses it 40 times in his gospel almost ten times as much as some of the gospel writers use it, and immediately this happens, and immediately that happens. You remember from a few weeks ago in this very text that Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism and immediately the heavens part and the Spirit descends and the voice comes, You are my beloved Son. All of this happens immediately, and I would say with immediacy. It happens close in. Now, you may have noticed that it it looked like that Jeffrey had left out a bunch of the Scripture from the temptation account. Like, where where is that stuff about turning stones to bread? Well, it's not, not in Mark's text. Or, you know, jumping off the pinnacle of the temple. Well, it's, it's not there. Or what about bowing down before the devil? And uh, like Kate Cam would say, don't do that no more. Uh, But none of those that we are so familiar with are in Mark's gospel. They're in Matthew and Luke. It's more terse. It's more sparse in Mark's gospel. But what he has that the other ones don't have is about the beasts. And Jesus was with the devil and the wild 
beasts. When he walks out of the waters, the Spirit then again thrusts him into the wilderness. You see that sense of hurry and urgency? And he was thrust into the wilderness. You would think that Jesus would have said, don't I have time to get some dry clothes? No, you're thrust into the wilderness. What about a few power bars? Could take a while. Or maybe an energy drink. You know that green stuff, whatever that is? I don't know. It looks radioactive to me. Uh, But no, the Spirit, right now, right now, into the wilderness, the kingdom of God has come near. I was thinking about this on Friday night. On Friday over at Trinity Presbyterian, Walter Brueggemann, the retired but famous Old Testament professor, was giving uh, a lecture over there. And we had six, count them, six young adults from Northside Drive Baptist Church. The young adults were um, uh, Caitlin and uh, Allison and Will Dunn and Jenny Hedrick and Daniel Hedrick and me. All right, there were five young adults at Northside Drive, and I. But, but if Jerry Humphreys were here, she would say I was a young adult. I just want to make note about that. We were there, and Brueggemann was doing his uh, shtick and prophetically calling us to imagination. And it occurred to me maybe, maybe the reason or one of the reasons Jesus needed to go into the wilderness was because he had some pondering to do some recalibration to do, that in that day and time it was settled that almighty Rome and well-regulated religion ruled the day. Their power would be forever. But maybe even Jesus needed 40 days to ponder that Rome is not God and religion is not God. God is God. And maybe even for Jesus, it takes a while to detox from that. Maybe he, too, had to uh, detox from drinking the Kool-Aid. Maybe the kingdom first appears in our times of wilderness, that the nearness of God in the wilderness required some recalibration. Boy, is not the church incorporated going through that. I mean, uh, theologians say that the church... Incorporated is going through a bigger reformation than the Reformation. Since the 5th century, we have not seen a reformation like that. We are very anxious about our little tidal pool, as is every church. But what really calls the shots are the big oceans. We are just a part of a much larger story. That's why I think it may, we may need from time to time to go to the solitude of the wilderness to differentiate the calling voice from the cacophony of anxious advisors. And churches need that too. Why in such a hurry, God? Well, the kingdom of God is coming near and may first appear in the wilderness. Here's a second thing. Why the hurry? Well, maybe not even Jesus can proclaim the big gospel until he has named the wild beasts. The kingdom of God is near, but so are the beasts in the wilderness. When he comes out of the temptations he's preaching, the gospel, 
But maybe he needed the experience of encountering the wild beasts to know what the gospel is. The journey to the promised land always requires the wilderness. Whenever I send out pastoral uh, words to uh, some of you in the congregation, the deacons and pastoral caregiver types, I often end it by a quotation that it's been credited all the way from Plato to Mark Twain, I think, saying, be kind to everyone you meet because everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. So do each of us have our own wilderness wanderings and wrestling matches with the beasts. And so we need to name those. One thing I like about watching the Winter Olympics is to see all these wonderful backstories that led the people there. I guess the other reason I watch the Olympics is because the Winter Olympics, every four years, I get to watch that nail-biting, you know, edge-of-the-seat event called curling. <laughs> now, maybe you're a big fan of curling. I can't, I, I just imagine these guys sitting in a pub one day, and they're watching the Olympics, and someone said, we ought to go jump off a mountain and land a mile down there. I said, no, not, not. we need to wear skates that have razor-sharp blades. Said, no, we can't do that. One guy says, I know, we'll take these big rocks. And they go, that's it. I like to see the backstories, as in 4 a.m., the 15-year-old gets up, her parents take her to the ice skating rink for three hours of practice before the world even wakes up. Or the one who was injured and the knee surgery was required and he didn't think he would be able to make it to the Olympics, but through rehabbing, he's able to do it. Or the part-time jobs they take on to pay the coaches or the sacrifices made by the family and the parents. It's the backstory of the wilderness that they've been through that gets them to the Olympic that helps me identify with them. Only Mark mentions these wild beasts. There are a lot of beasts in the Bible, if you think about it, like Daniel in the lion den, like Mr. and Mrs. Noah, as read earlier, who get a Ph.D. in floating zoology. Or like Isaiah, that we read every Advent season, this, this imagination he has that, that God is not going to make Israel great again. God is going to reinvent what God is up to. A new vision, says Isaiah, where the lion will lay down with the lamb and a child shall lead them. How about that? Maybe... Maybe the taming of the beasts that seek to consume us occurs first when we name what they are. In the Wednesday morning Bible study, I asked the group, what, what beasts do you see at work in the world? Some of them named uh, addiction that can monopolize our lives, eclipse our spirits, and take our souls hostage I think of Robin Williams, God rest his soul, who spoke about the weapons of self-destruction. And we all have them. Another one mentioned possessions. The more stuff we have, the more money we need, and we never quite have enough, do we? I mean, how much money do we need? We need a little bit more. I mentioned the idolatry of security. Security. 
As long as you think that your life is at threat or your way of life, then you can justify you can justify anything. You know, but then the question is how tall does the wall need to be before you can feel secure? The idolatry of security. And then I want to name the beast that's in the living room, which is the way I would say America's adulterous affair with guns. Now remember what Mark is up to. He's outfitting us for off-road, all-terrain, fierce spirituality. And if you go up against this issue, if you take stands around uh, gun uh, violence in America, you are going to need a robust resource of fierce spirituality. I call it a symptom, as adultery is, because it points to something else going on in a relationship that creates the adultery. This week, Parkland, Florida, in fact, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, named for an environmental activist, by the way, who had a sense of place, an honor of place, that the Douglas High School has now taken its name in the Hall of Fame or shame, along with Columbine and Sandy Hook and many, many others. At one of the school shooting uh, a few uh, years ago, one TV commentator said, well, you know, this is the price we pay for freedom. Really? Really? Say that as a part of the eulogy you give for a killed teenager in Parkland, Florida. If we do battle with this and take stands, you need to be armed with a gospel of peace and that is a fierce peace. I was talking to Neil Sandler, my colleague down at Ahabath Akim Synagogue this week, and we both confessed an atrocity numbness, a disaster depletion, an issue fatigue. I mean, just how many of these, in addition to parish and congregation requirements, can one take on? I myself see the gun issue as a multi-headed hydra. And that's part of why I think we are stuck, because we can argue that any one of the seven or 27 heads, well, yeah, this might address that, but, but you know, it doesn't address this in the other situation. For instance, if we say, well, we need more common sense gun laws, we would say, well, it that's a good idea, but, you know, it doesn't address how much is on the streets. We go, oh, yeah, that's right. Well, I know we need more age requirements. I mean, is it really okay for a teenager, a 19-year-old, to buy an assault weapon? We go, well, but on the other hand, you know, it doesn't address, because a lot of them were more than 19 years old. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Background check. We need uniform between the states Background check for to be more thorough. Oh, yeah, but what if Uncle Bob gives me his gun? That, well, that wouldn't qualify. Yeah, discount that. I know a type of gun. There's the romantic cruelty of an AR-15. But just to even say that there might be a restriction on those kinds of guns means that gun sales go up. So I see. Well, I have to mark that off. And if we restricted gun sales, well, you know, there's so many in circulation already. 
And we end up we end up dying of a thousand qualifications, and our action is numbed. Now, I myself believe that a legis- legislation that are reasonable gun laws are necessary. Less necessary because they are actionable, but also necessary because they are sacramental. They are symbolic. They are our leaders taking stands and saying, no more. Now, the intel that I've seen says that there will be gun legislation coming up that will probably be voted in, as in silencers will be more available now. That'll probably get voted in. Campus carry will be expanded. That'll probably get voted in. Isn't that remarkable? Jerry Salk, Jeffrey Salkin, uh, a colleague who followed Alvin Sugarman as the rabbi at the temple on Peachtree, was there a few years and is now a rabbi in Florida. He writes a blog, and it's called Martini Judaism. I'm thinking about, no, I probably won't do that. But his blog is called Martini Judaism. The, he, he lives near Parkland, Florida, where the atrocity happened. Martini Judaism and the subtitle is For Those Who Want to Be Shaken and Stirred. He takes on, he says, if you say you're pro-life and pro-family values, where is your action when it, contain, when it, it concerns uh, gun violence? He also says, quit saying you're in my thoughts and prayers if you do not have behaviors that back it up. Yeah, yeah. This is a conversation that isn't done now, but will be continued for years. Why be in such urgency? Well, the kingdom is coming near, is near. Why be urgent? The beasts are among us and need naming. Here's the third thing. Why be urgent? Because in the wilderness, the beasts are not only there, but that's where the angels are. And he encountered the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. When, on Wednesday, I talked with a Wednesday Bible study group about that. I said, name, name the angels. And everybody had a story about a mentor who had been a coach or a teacher who had been a colleague, someone that helped encourage their souls to grow and learn and, and move on. Uh, I always mentioned, as I mentioned in a note that I sent out this week, that I always affirm Gordon Davis, who doesn't remember everything these days, but I don't either. But I always, when I visit with him, say to him, I remember when you were an angel to me and I was going through a very tough time in life. Come to think of it, the tragedy in Parkland, Florida, with all of its atrocities, I heard in that and among that the flutter of angels' wings. I saw an article that went global, uh, went viral, as they say, written by a 17-year-old who was there, Cameron Caskey, who said, my generation will not stand for this. That as he went to get his special needs brother, Holden, They were able to make it to the parking lot and then make it home, but he said 17 of my classmates did not. 
My generation will not stand for this, he said. That struck me because evidently, mine will. I mean, that's the track record, that my generation is going to be held hostage by something. And it appears that the generation above me, those older, and maybe the generation below me are all held hostage and not speaking voice and not taking votes. But the one below that, the 17-year-old the generation, I hear the flutter of angels' wings. Maybe finally a generation has come along and said that we have had enough. To me, that looks like good news. That sounds like an outcropping of the gospel coming from the pen of a teenager who got his special needs brother out of the wilderness. I might even call that something like Mark did, a, um, a fierce spirituality. Amen. It is our tradition that when a word is offered, a time of invitation and dedication is given. It's a reminder, like the Noah story, like we heard the other Friday night, that God is God over all heaven, all earth, including this day and these times. The hymn that we will be singing is God Who Made the Earth and Heaven. There's a misprint in your order of service, I see. It's not number 368. It is number 366, two pages over, number 366. Let's stand together and sing.
but let me tell you about the chapter one when the Lord God's work was just begun. Stop and let me tell you about the chapter two when the Lord God's written his Bible through. Stop and let me tell you about the chapter three when the Lord God died on a
Oh, loving God, our hearts rise in gratitude. For one thing, we give thanks for the voice of the choir. They brought it this Sunday and every Sunday for their confidence and song. We are grateful. For the gifts of grace, we are also grateful. May these tithes and offerings be used in your service for peace and service this week. Indeed, O Lord, we live in a weary land, but also through the land runs the river, the river that flows from the throne of God. May we be nourished by that as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And in case any of you want to follow up on actions regarding the challenge of the the day and the week, there's a group called Outcry that is housed at Trinity Presbyterian. Uh, Peter Berg, who's the present um, rabbi at the temple, is a part of that. I'm a part of that. 
On this Wednesday, we'll be going down to the State House and talk to our legislatures about gun violence. So if any of you are interested, look about Cry on uh, the web. Now, why am I holding hands with Missy Lester? You're wondering. Missy is now a world pilgrim. Ken Brandt and I and Jan Swanson and others have taken trips around the world with Jews, Christians, and Muslims with the purpose of getting to know one another and for peace. And Missy is going this week to Cuba with Jews, Christians, and Muslims on a world pilgrim uh, pilgrimage. And so um, she said, uh, would we pray for her? And I, or would I pray for her? And I said, well, what if we do that in front of everybody and commission her? And so I think the commissioning for you to go this week on the pilgrimage to Cuba, by the way, Fulgencio and Dahlia, you know, tell them how to do this. Tell her how to do this. But uh, let me offer the, uh, the blessing and the benediction that I give every week. Maybe let me offer it particularly for you. Missy, may the strength of Christ uplift you. May the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you. And may the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage. This day, every day, as you go to Cuba on mission this week, and as we prepare to go in peace, amen.